0: Good morning. My name is Greg. I am one of the pastors here at South Bay Community Church. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you're a new uh, first-timer here, uh, I've been on sabbatical for the past three months, so this is my first weekend back preaching, so uh, welcome you. And uh, I am so uh, just in awe of God. You know, a few months ago, actually right before I left for... Sabbatical. We share with you that Janice Nee, who used to lead our usher ministry, had a massive stroke. Longtime servant and sister here at the church had a massive stroke. So as a church, we've been praying for her together, and uh, just blessed by God that she is actually right here with us in the front row, worshiping with us. Yeah. So would you praise God for His faithfulness? <laughs> it is so awesome to see Janice. Janice, could we pray for you right now? Would you guys join me as we pray for Janice? Oh, Father God, we thank you so much. As we are reminded right now in this moment, right before our very eyes, that you are a good God. You're a faithful God who hears our prayers. Lord, you care about the things that are heavy on our hearts. And so when we prayed uh, to you that you would do a miraculous work in Janice's life, that you would... Um, save her and restore her and heal her god we know that those prayers did not fall on deaf ears and so lord we celebrate that janice is not just here but she's able to use her heart and her mouth to worship you and praise you uh, together with us her brothers and sisters so thank you god we love you so much would you continue to do your work in her life and remind us all that uh, nothing is too hard for you god and we could keep turning to you and so we pray in jesus name amen Amen, Janice. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. My heart is full of joy. Um, As as I get back up here, we've been in the series called Live Like This. Uh, It's the series, the study that we've been doing in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ himself. And uh, I want to start off by asking you a question this morning. If I were to ask you, what do you think is the most quoted verse by Christians, what would you say? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us, us his one and only son. What would you say if I were to ask you, what is the most quoted verse by non-Christians? What would you say? Do not judge. Do not judge. There you go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. I'm going to put it up for you guys right now. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. The most quoted verse that's been said by non-Christians, and ironically, it's quoted at Christians, right? Because the world loves to say, don't judge me. I'll do what I want to do. I'll live how I want to live. I'll dress how I want to dress. I'll be with who I want to be with, so don't judge me. In other words, Christians, stay in your lane, right? You do you, and I'll do me. Don't judge me. And and that's often quoted at Christians. Here's the thing. Most people who quote Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, couldn't tell you that it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Because they don't know Matthew 7, 1. Nor do they know Matthew 7, verse 2, or verse 3, or verse 4, or 5. In other words, they don't know the context from which it's spoken. Now, I've heard a lot of pastors and scholars say, yeah, most people in the world who quote this verse misinterpret the verse. They misuse the verse. But do you, do you know what I think is more sad than the fact that non-Christians misuse this verse is the fact that non-Christians feel like they need to use this verse. See, we can sit here as Christians with our nose stuck up in the air and say, nope, hermeneutically, you've misinterpreted that passage, or theologically, you stand incorrect, when obliviously as Christians, we're missing the point here. Obliviously, we're missing the point that Christians, we have a problem. That we are people who at the very foundation of our faith, at the core of it, is this belief that we have been shown amazing grace. And yet the world sees us as people who amazingly lack grace. And that's not right. That is not right. If you are here this morning and you are a non-Christian, I want to say thank you for being here. And I am really encouraged that you are here. And I pray that you would be encouraged by what you hear. I heard a story of a young woman in her younger years who made a mistake that she totally regretted. But she said that the response from her church community, the stares that she would get, the the things that were said to her, the attitude toward her was one that told her, I'm no longer welcome here. And so she left the church and she never stepped back into the church for over 10 years I want to say, church, that is not okay. That is not okay. And so when Jesus says, do not judge here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, what does he mean? How could we people who have experienced such great love be administrators of such great judgment? I want to take you into this passage and see what our master teaches us about judging. Okay, So would you guys join me as we pray, ask the good shepherd to lead us into his truth. Would you guys pray with me? And so, God, we want to confess right now in this moment that you are the good shepherd. And we're your sheep, so we follow you. So, God, would you go before us? Don't let us get ahead of you. Lord, we're not interested in a man's opinion. So, Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way and help us to seek your truth. And so we ask your spirit to speak to us, Lord. And, God, I pray that this morning you would help us to listen. Not with our elbows, as if this is the perfect message for the person next to me. And not with our fingers, as if that person over there really needs to hear this message. But Lord, help us to hear with our hearts and our ears, Lord, as if maybe you have something that you need to reveal to me about my own heart. So speak to us, God, and thank you again for Janice, a living testimony that you are powerful and you can do great things. If we would simply surrender to you. So Lord, we do that now. We surrender our hearts and our minds. And it's in Jesus' name we all say, amen. 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 So if we're going to talk about judging, I think it's important to understand what it means to judge. So I want to put up a definition for you guys. What does it mean to judge? Well, to judge is to make a decision or, or discernment based on a particular set of standards. And if you look at the definition, if, if that's what it means, then Judging isn't inherently evil, is it? Like a few years ago i was I was driving down the street, and apparently I broke the speed limit because I got pulled over, and the the cop gave me a ticket I mean it was like the one time in my life I ever sinned ever right and and he He caught me, and so i I, I wanted to fight this ticket and so Uh, I I set up the date to go to court, not in hopes to prove to the judge I was innocent because I knew I was guilty, but in hopes that the officer wouldn't show up, and so I'd be released, right? And so I was praying before that day, God, please don't let him show up, please don't let him show up, give him diarrhea or something, like don't (laughs) let him show up, and I, I, I get to court and guess what happens? He shows up, right? He shows up, and he's in court, and the, uh, the, the judge hears our sides, and he declares, I'm guilty. I broke the speed limit. There's no getting around that, and so he says, you're responsible for the fine. Now, can you imagine if I hear the judge declare me guilty and says, I have to pay the fine if I stand there and go, don't judge me, right? <laughs> like, that'd be stupid. That'd be ridiculous. Why? Because... That's what he does. He's a judge. And his job is to hold us accountable to a standard. Which standard? Well, for for that case, it's the laws of the state of California. Here's a speed limit. You broke it. You have to be held accountable. And so judges aren't inherently evil. That's why we put them in the boxing match to judge that or the contest or the pageant or the Olympics because we trust that they're gonna make a good decision based on a certain criteria or standards. So I don't think it's evil to judge. And if it is, then we got a big problem because Jesus, our, our master, he has made judgments, right? In the Sermon on the Mount leading up to today's passage, we've heard, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard him call out the Pharisees for being hypocrites. Jesus, that's the judgment. How are you going to call them hypocrites based on what standard? Well, on this one, the scriptures. You say one thing, but you don't live according to it, and so he made a judgment. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, how Jesus warns the disciples against false prophets. Jesus, how are you going to call them false prophets? That's a judgment. Based on what standard? Well, the truth. And what you're saying and what they're teaching is false compared to the truth. So he's holding them to a standard. So is Jesus saying in verse 1 when he says, do not judge that we should never judge ever at all times, never judge? No, he's not, not at all. Because the problem is you can't take one line out of its context and come to a conclusion that must be true at all times in every situation. It's like if I were to work with my son, he's, he's eight years old, and let's say Evan was working on his homework, I'm trying to help him through this, his homework, and he's distracted and he wants to play, and I say, Evan, don't play. Don't play. And let's say you overhear me tell him, don't play. You cannot come to the conclusion that I'm against my son ever playing. As if when his team has a basketball game, I say to Evan, no, you're, you're gonna have to sit on the bench. Don't play. You can't conclude that if you were at a birthday party that I'm going to make them sit on the couch when everyone's playing outside and say, no, Evan, don't play. As if the conclusion is I'm anti-playing. I'm not, I'm not a player hater, right? You know that, church, right? Like, that's not me. But, but you have to understand what was that meant in that moment? What was meant in that moment? What was I saying? What was the heart behind that? And in the same way, when Jesus says, do not judge We'll look carefully at this context and see that Jesus is actually not saying never judge. He's actually saying how not to judge. And then he's going to teach us how to judge rightly. John chapter 7 verse 24 in another uh, gospel, Jesus said out of his own mouth, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. In other words, he's saying there's a wrong way to judge, and then there's a right way to judge. It's a wrong way to judge, there's a right way to judge. And so Jesus, how do you judge rightly? So we look in this passage, and I think he shows us. And the first principle I see that he lays down for us is the principle of reciprocation. Would you guys write this down? Remember, if you're going to judge, remember the principle of reciprocation. Remember the principle of reciprocation. Because let's look at the context. Let's go to the next verse, verse 2. Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in this Sermon on the Mount, you see this theme all throughout, and it's this this rule. Do unto others as you would want done to you. It's known as the what rule? The golden rule. The golden rule, right? Let me give you a... A teaser for next week's passage, Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus says explicitly, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, the entire Old Testament can be summed up with this rule. And even the Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So if you look at verse 2, I think you could rephrase it and say this, Judge others the way you would want to be judged. Judge others the way you would want to be judged. He's not saying never judge, but he's saying if you're going to judge, then you better be very careful to do so in the way you would want to because it will be reciprocated. The measure you, you use will be used against you. I think that's good to know because all of us, we, we hate to be judged unfairly. Amen? We don't like when we're judged unfairly. I, I got to visit a church um, this is a very like a hipster, young, modern church. In fact, they were meeting in a nightclub. So I go on Sunday morning uh, to this nightclub, and it still smells from cigarette smoke from the night before. And I'm seeing all these flashing lights on the stage and the loud, bumping worship music. And then the pastor comes out to the stage. And when he comes out, I started judging hardcore. I started. Judging. I looked at him. I go, man, those look like some fancy boots. Those look expensive. Those are some pretty skinny jeans, bro. <laughs> right? That shirt looks really trendy. And then we got to his hair. Like his hair was so perfect. And I'm like, man, how long did you spend on your hair? Like do you even pray, bro? Right? Like, like, jeez. And I'm like judging him hardcore. Like as a pastor, I know people judge me on how old I look. Right? Uh, I've heard from people who have since called South Bay their home. I've heard people say, yeah, and when I first saw you, though, I was like, who's this 18-year-old kid on stage, right? Like, is that the pastor's son? That's cute. And, and so, so people are, like, always wondering, how old is this guy? So I get judged, and I'm over that. That's, I, I, I get that. I, I've accepted it. But then this guy in this church, true story, he told me that his sister, who used to come, no longer comes. And he told me she, no, she doesn't really care for your preaching, Greg. True story. I said, Why? Why not? You know what he said? It's your hair. So, what? <laughs> Why is she judging? Like, what does my hair have to do with anything? And, and that, he was serious. It wasn't a joke. He, she doesn't like your hair. And so she left. And so, so I realized that I find myself making judgments of other people in ways that I don't want judged of me. I would find it unfair if he judged me that way. We, we, we do it all the time, so it's, it's good to stop and, and ask ourselves, if I'm going to make this judgment about another person, am I ready for this judgment I have to be reciprocated back to me? Am I ready for these thoughts and these attitudes to be directed back to me? Am I ready for this tone and this speech to be spoken of of me? And if you're not ready for that, don't administer that. Get rid of that and repent. It will be judged unto you reciprocation. Now, here's the thing. I think the principle of reciprocation that Jesus is teaching will actually go deeper than that. I think it goes deeper. Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what's Jesus adamantly speaking out against? He's calling out self-righteousness. He's like, there's no place for self-righteousness in the kingdom of God. And if we said to judge is to hold someone according to a set of standards which isn't inherently evil, we have to understand that, that self-righteousness means we're holding people according to the wrong set of standards, i.e., my own standards. If you're going to judge someone righteously, which the Bible commands, that means I'm holding you to righteous standards. I'm holding you up to the Word of God. But to judge self-righteously means I'm going to hold you up to my standards. And when you don't meet my standards, then in my heart I condemn you. And Jesus calls that out. On my sabbatical, uh, my family and I, we got to go to different places, and we got to actually spend time with people of different cultures, different people groups. And there's this one place we went, and I love the people and everything about them. Everything was great, but there's this one thing that just irked me. Like, I noticed that every time I was standing in line somewhere, people would just cut right in front of me. Like always, like I'd go to another place, I'm waiting for the doors to open, doors open, people just cut in front, and I remember saying to Monica, Monica, these people are so inconsiderate, they they don't see me standing here. We go to another place, and, and in this place, they're very warm, very friendly, very hospitable, but I noticed that every time I said thank you, they never responded back to me. I'd say thank you, but I never got a, you're welcome. I'd say thank you, never got a, it's my pleasure. I say, thank you. It's just silent. And I go, Monica, like these people are so unresponsive. This other place, this is the third place we went to, different people group. And these people like love the culture, love the food, everything, love the country. But they stare at you. That's weird. Like in America, if I'm staring at you and then you look at me, what do I do? Like (laughs) play it off, right? No, I'm not looking at you, right? In this country, they're staring at me, right? And I look at them like, guys, you know what they do? Step right back! It's talking I'm locked eyes with the stranger, and this is weird. And I'm like, why? Why do they do this? And I found myself judging these other people, but based on what standards? My Western American standards. And I'm getting upset at these non-Americans for not being American on their territory. Why aren't you like me? And I, so, so I find myself condemning. Who's to say that that's not normal in their culture or accepted in their culture? But I'm trying to hold you to to my standards, how I would live and how I would do things. And so I condemn you in my heart. And Jesus is speaking out against that kind of self righteousness. Do you see the hypocrisy in that, church? Like, we're so quick to condemn and we're so quick to accuse, but at the same time, we long to be shown grace. Right? Isn't Isn't that weird? We love to accuse, we long to be excused. If you don't think that's true of you, let me prove that that's true of you, right? How many of you guys have ever been driving down the street and this car zips right by you, like flies right by you, and and there's this righteous anger in you, right? Slow down, you're going to kill somebody. And how many of you guys hope to finally catch up to them at some point, only to find that they crashed? Anybody? No? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. <laughs> Thank you, honest brother. Yeah, don't judge me. Okay, let's say, okay, fine. I don't hope they crash inside. Uh, maybe inside it. Maybe not that they crash, but you catch up to find that they got pulled over. Yeah? Okay, that's better. Oh, you guys are so holy. You guys are holy. Okay. So you hope they get pulled over, and when you find that there's this, ah, this relief in you, what are you thinking in your heart as you drive by? That's right, buddy. Yeah, slow down. You're going to kill somebody. That's what you get. Drive safer next time. How many of you guys have ever driven on the road and you've seen that um, speed limit sign and it tells you how fast you're going, kind of like this, right? Have you guys seen that? Yeah? It's cool. What happens when you actually go too fast? What does it say? It blinks, right? Slow down. Anybody see it? Raise of hands. Yeah? Sinners. Sinners. <laughs> that means you were speeding. If you've ever seen that, you were speeding and so you broke broken the law. And let's say that happens and in, in, in your rearview mirror you see Light's going off, and you hear the, ooh, ooh, ooh. what's going on in your heart? Oh, God, please, please, don't let me to you, please. <laughs> please let me go, please. And, Officer, I won't do it again. And what are we doing? Begging for grace, begging for mercy. Please, I won't do it again. It's so weird how we're so quick to accuse. Yeah, drive safe for next time. But we want to be excused. Please let me go, <laughs> please let me go. We, we love grace, but we administer condemnation. And Jesus says, no, no, that's that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. So remember the principle of reciprocation. Judge others the way you would want to be judged. For Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Judge righteously with grace, not self-righteously in condemnation. Okay, so that's the first principle he lays out, but then he goes on. So here's the second principle I see. I see the principle of reflection. You guys write that down, the principle of reflection. Verse three, he'll go on. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. So, pause right there. You've heard this teaching before. It's not new. Uh, You know, when I usually prepare a message, um, here's usually how I do it. I'll I'll read the text, and I'll read it over and over again, and I'll pray through it because I want to hear what the Spirit is saying. And then I'll I'll read commentaries, and I'll read books on that passage, maybe some articles, because I want to hear what scholars are saying. Then I'll listen to sermons of other pastors who have preached from that passage because I want to hear what pastors are saying. So I'll take notes, and I'll, I'll write it down. After I do all my study, I connect, collect my notes, then I'll start writing my own message for the church. So this past week, I'm listening to uh, these messages that pastors have preached on Matthew chapter seven on not judging, right? And I heard this one uh, message from a famous pastor and it was good. Like it was so good. and I was eating that up and I was writing notes. I'm like, this is good, this is good, right? Learning a lot. And then the very next message I heard I randomly found it, I was looking on on iTunes, I I put in my podcast, uh, Do Not Judge Sermon, and one comes up from a church I've never heard of, from a pastor I've never heard of, and when I listened to it, it deeply troubled me, right? Not because it was a bad message, it was a good message, but it was the same message that famous pastor preached, and I'm like, dude, he totally copied this guy's stuff, and I'm telling you, it was like all the points were the same verbatim. And I'm like, this guy, he didn't even cite that pastor. I looked at the dates. I'm like, yeah, he preached it first. And I'm like, he didn't cite him or quote him or anything. And I'm like, this is wrong. I'm thinking, why can't you just be yourself? Why can't you be original? Why can't you let the Spirit speak to you to speak to your church, right? I told Monica, I'm like, man, can you believe he did this? And it bothered me so much that that night... I fell asleep, I woke up again at 2.50 a.m., and I just lay there, and I could not shake it off. I'm like, I hope this guy gets found out. Like, the church needs to call him out on this, right? So it was bothering me, and, and I know he, he was preaching the same message because I would listen to the famous pastor, and then I would listen to him. I would listen to the famous pastor, and listen to him, and I was comparing, I'm like, yeah, it's the same thing. But you know what I heard on repeat as I went back and forth? Here's what I heard. In one message, he said, Take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then I heard, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. And ironically, it was like God saying to me in surround sound, Greg, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. There is some conviction going on here. You know what I saw? This is what I saw. I saw this, why? Because as I was accusing this pastor of copying this guy, I then looked down at my notes, there they are. I looked at my notes and what did I see? The same points that this famous pastor preached. I wrote it down word for word. And I was prepared to preach it to you this morning, everything he said, because it was so good. And some of you guys will say, well, that's okay. It's the kingdom of God. It's all for God's glory. It's okay to use other people's stuff. And then some of you guys will say, no, that's wrong. That's plagiarism. And whatever you think about it, here's what's wrong. Here's what's clearly wrong, the hypocrisy that was in my heart. Because I'm accusing this guy of doing something that I myself was willing to do. That's hypocrisy. And so the Lord was convicting my heart. And so it's not wrong to make a judgment. But we should stop and reflect and ask ourselves often this question. Does my perception of this person's fault reveal any fault of my own? Does my perception of this person's guilt reflect any of my own guilt? I've said this before. Sometimes the things that upset us most about another person are often the very things that we struggle with most. It's weird how that happens. I'll put up a quote from Pastor Craig Grishel. He says, the place where you offer your harshest judgment often reveals your deepest weakness. And I don't know why that happens exactly, but sometimes the things that we hate is found in our hearts. See, God wants to sanctify us from our sin. Amen? He wants to get rid of stuff in our lives that need to get be rid of. And maybe he's been speaking to you through the quiet time. Or he's been speaking to you about it through, through the preaching on the weekend. Or maybe he's been trying to speak even through a song on the radio or, or through your time of prayer. But because of our pride and our self-righteousness and our thick schools, we ain't hearing it. Like we don't want to believe we got issues. Yeah, and I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And maybe that's what it takes. And so sometimes God will show us. A reflection of ourselves. Maybe he will use someone else as a reflective mirror into our own souls. And when, when that person is really bothering me or irritating me or upsetting me, maybe finally that gets your attention to how, how that kind of behavior needs to change. And when we stop and reflect, we realize that needs to change in me. So stop and reflect. It may or may not be true that that what somebody else is struggling with is what you're struggling with. You might find that, yeah, I got I got to change that in me. Or you might find that, no, actually, I'm totally free of that. Like I've searched my heart, I've let the Holy Spirit search my heart, and I'm not doing what that person's doing. And that might be the case. That's fine. But when we stop and reflect, right? Sometimes the Holy Spirit might reveal to us a different kind of sin going on. I would say even an even greater sin. And you might be right in in your judgment of that person, but maybe he's revealing to you that self-righteous hypocrisy going on. See, because in that moment, he might be revealing to you, remember that you were worthy of judgment. You deserve condemnation, but because of Christ on the cross, you've been shown grace and you've been shown mercy. Who are you to judge? You should have been on that cross. And in that moment when you realize, I've been shown grace and mercy, you realize I am in no position to judge anybody else except with grace and mercy. And God might be turning you from your way in that moment. So let's stop and reflect because James tells us, James chapter 2, verse 13, he tells us, for judgment is without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So Jesus teaches us the principle of reciprocation, judge as you would want to be judged. Now the principle of reflection, don't go around plucking specks out of people's eyes when you got a plank in your own eye. And then finally, when we do that honestly, honest reflection brings about the principle of restoration. So you guys write this down, the last point for today. Remember the principle of Restoration. I want to read to you the last verse one more time, verse 5 to the end. You, hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then, circle that word then, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In fact, would you circle that word brother too because I want to come back to that word in just a second. But let me talk about that speck and removing that speck. Okay, because the goal, we... We want to remove the speck out of a person's eye, not, not poke out the person's eye, right? In other words, we want to help the person, not hurt the person. And so the goal of righteous judgment is always restoration, not condemnation. We want to bring them up, not bring them down. Okay, remember our job, Christians, let me talk to the Christians. This is our job. The ministry God has given us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of what? Reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of behavior modification. Like Those are two different ministries. And so we have to remember the job that God, our Father, has given us, what we've experienced ourselves, is this ministry to help restore people to the Father, to bring them into a relationship with God, their Creator. The ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of restoration, not the ministry of behavior modification. Why, why is it that the world so often looks at the church and criticizes us for being judgmental? Why? Uh, here's my theory, I think it's because we too often forget this ministry God has given us of reconciliation and not behavior modification. So we go around and we seem like we're so concerned about people's moral behavior more than we are concerned about the relationship with the Savior. Like we're so obsessed with your earthly activity when we should be concerned about their eternal destiny, right? We act like people's mothers slapping their hands trying to change their habits, When we should be leading them to the Father who can actually change their hearts. And a changed heart will then influence their habits. But leave that to the Father. And so we we go around and we try to shape people's moral behavior as if that's our priority. But listen, unless your father is the same as my father, I can't expect you to live under my father. Right? Okay, so for example, my, my kids, my two older kids, Evan and Karis, are kind of at that age where... Uh, some people their age start drinking soda. Well, in my household, uh, my kids are way too hyper to be drinking soda, and they have way too many cavities to be drinking soda. So the rule is no, no soda. But let's say they get invited to this birthday party, and that kid whose birthday it is, they drink soda. And so the parents put out the spread of food. They got a cooler with cans can of soda, and that birthday boy is drinking a can of Sprite. Imagine if my son goes up to that kid, that birthday boy, and slaps that can out of his hand. Says, don't drink soda. You can't drink that. What's he going to say? Why not? And then then goes, well, because my daddy said you can't drink soda. What's he going to say? Well, that's your daddy, and my daddy says it's okay. Right? Isn't that right? Isn't that true? Why should that kid live according to my standards? Why should he care to satisfy me or obey my rules? He lives under a different authority, his daddy. And in the same way, Christians, let me, let me address the Christians in this room. Do you realize how futile and foolish it is when we try to put our father's standards on people who don't see the God of the Bible as their father? Right, I've said this before that that. One's moral behavior is a reflection of the moral standards of the God they serve. I'll say it again. Our moral behavior is a reflection of the moral standards of our moral authority. So like if a Muslim comes and says, Greg, you better bow and pray five times a day towards Mecca and pray to Allah, what am I going to say? No, thank you. Why? Because I don't serve Allah. I serve my God. I serve my God. And so it's kind of foolish on the flip side to expect that a Muslim should live like a Christian. And I I believe, and I think we can all agree, that I truly believe that the God of the Bible is the ultimate moral authority, right? He's the God of gods, the king of kings, the creator of the entire universe, and one day every knee will bow. Everyone will have to give an account. I believe that. Amen to that. But with that being said, People aren't going to live like that and reflect the Father's standard until they see God as their Father. And so at that point, our job, our priority is to help introduce them to Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for you by His grace on the cross and introduce them to the Father. And when their hearts are surrendered to the Father, then the Father can then begin to transform their hearts, which will change their behavior. But know your role. Know your role. Okay, we are ministers of reconciliation, not of behavior modification. Now, that brings us to the question, so Christian, who are you to judge? That's the title of the message, who are you to judge? Let me say that differently. Who are you to judge? Because the answer is you are to judge other Christians, your brothers and sisters, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Paul talking to the church, he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Rhetorical question. It's not your business. Are you not to judge those inside? Rhetorical question. Yeah, you're supposed to judge those within the church. See, because if you are a Christian and I am a Christian, that means we're brothers and sisters. That means we're family. And that means we come under the same Father. And it is not only our right, but it is our responsibility and our obligation and love to help each other live in the father's household under his standards and rules. Realizing he's not trying to make life miserable, but he loves us. So if, my, if I see my son, and let's say he catches his sister Karis in the bathroom trying to sneak a can of Coke. right? She, she, she found a can of Coke and she's, she's chugging this thing down and, uh, and Evan finds out, I'm not pleased if my son sees that and says, ha-ha, you're going to get spanked. You're going to get in trouble. Dad's going to find out, and you're going to get cavities, and you got to go to the dentist, get your teeth pulled, right, which is natural for a kid. But I am much more pleased if I overhear my son go to his sister lovingly and say, hey, Chris, you know Dad said we can't have soda. You know he said we can't, and you know it's not because he hates us and is trying to make life miserable, but he knows that it's going to give us cavities, and he knows how much we hate the dentist. So, Karis, maybe you should put that away, which would show me the maturity in his eight-year-old heart. I, I kind of don't expect that. But if, if he did, it's like <laughs> there's, there's, there's a heart full of not condemnation and hoping for his sister's downfall, but a heart of restoration, hoping that his sister lives in obedience to her father. And so, church, we need each other. We need righteous judgment going on. I need you, and you need me. If you ever see me disrespecting my wife, abusing her verbally, emotionally, whatever, if you ever see me staying out at night and not coming home, I need you to come to me with love and grace and say, Greg, remember what Ephesians chapter 5 says? Remember what Christ said when he said, lay down your life for your bride like Christ laid it down for the church? If you see me on the court, and instead of dropping three pointers, I'm dropping four letter F-bombs, and I'm trying to start fights, I need you. I need you to come to me and show me. Remember Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, in your anger, do not sin. Remember what it says about unwholesome talk coming out of your mouths? If you hear me talking trash about my sister gossiping behind her back. Judging her self-righteously, I need you to come and show me. Show me what the Word says. Show me the standard of our Father. Maybe point me to Matthew chapter 7 and what it says about self-righteousness. But I need you, and you need me. And we need to help each other line up with the Father's standards. And that's going to take some discernment, some righteous judgment but we do so not with a heavy hand of condemnation, but with a heart full of grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. And so we close. And so Jesus teaches us how to judge rightly. And it's the principle of reciprocation. Judge others the way you would want to be judged. And I'm assuming that's with grace and mercy. And the principle of reflection, is there any sin or hypocrisy that I'm guilty of? Do I realize that I've been shown grace and mercy? And then the principle of restoration is my first priority always, helping people be restored to the Father, reconciled to him, and will I do so with grace and mercy? I opened up this message I shared with you about that young woman who made a mistake in her younger years, and yet the church said things and looked at her in ways that made her felt like, I'm not welcomed here, and so she left the church. She felt judged. And condemned, and she left the church for over 10 years, never stepped one foot back because of all the hurt. Well, if you hear her story, her testimony, she ended up back in the church over 10 years later. And she'll tell you it's because she met a Christian who loved her with the real love of Jesus. And she'll tell you in her testimony, quote, When she told her story, she was met with tears instead of punishment. When she spoke of her wounds, she saw an agonized face looking back at her. When she encountered love, it met her in a far deeper place than her wounds could ever go. And because of that, she's on the path of restoration. That's beautiful. She met a Christian who knew how to make the right judgment. And that Christian made a call, this calls for grace and mercy. May the church be filled with those kinds of Christians. May it be filled with those kind of Christians, Christians who are filled with grace and mercy of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow with me? And so God, we humbly bow our heads before you. And God, we, we just confess any hypocrisy, any self-righteousness in us. Lord, show us our hearts and and help us to turn. Forgive us for any ways we have turned people away from from you, God. Forgive us for the ways we have poorly reflected you in this community around us, at our workplaces, in our homes. And help us now to, to experience redemption help us now to really live like we believe in amazing grace help us to reflect to the world around us what what grace looks like and yet let us not water down truth help us like Jesus live with grace and truth to lovingly point people to to a loving father who has the power to work powerfully within our hearts and forever change our lives God, you're so worthy. So that's why we worship you. That's why we sing. That's why we give. That's why we dance. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name.